0: chapter 22. We took time last week to kind of continue down this road and talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the last few hours of His life. He is getting ready to go to the cross. And, and of course the synoptic books means, noptic or optic means to see and uh, sin means the same. They see, it the, they, see it, uh, they see it the same. And that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those particular books of the four Gospels are kind of uh, They're looking at that, and and John gives us a lot more details, quite frankly, in the last few hours of Jesus' life, but we see from Luke's perspective. Now, Luke was a Greek. We believe that he was Grecian, and he got most of his uh, information, obviously inspired by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God, but also obtained through interviews. Whenever Paul was in Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea there being being, uh, stayed in prison, uh, and having to stay there, and that's when Felix interviewed him, and Festus, and Agrippa. Luke cared for him, but Luke had access to Jerusalem, and would go down there, and he would question things, and he gave us a lot of information, uh, with the Lord's help, about things that we would not know had he not interviewed, no doubt interviewed shepherds, and he, inter- he tells us a little bit about the shepherds' uh, visit there, and what happened in that situation, and Lots of things, medical. He was a physician, so he spoke about a lot of medical things that we would not have in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. You know, you'll see here in just a few moments or in this passage, he talks about that when he prayed, it was like great sweat drops of blood. And uh, talking about, uh, talking about the, the, the consternation and the agony that he was in. He spoke a lot about that. But we look in, in Luke chapter number 22, and, and our theme for this month is committed love. And boy, I'm telling you what, when I look at this passage of Scripture, I see God loves me. Jesus loves me. It was a very, uh, I don't remember exactly who it was right now, but it was a very well-known professor and preacher of the gospel in the, in the Northeast. And I think he taught at Yale or Princeton when it was a Bible college. And he, was, he knew multiple languages and was extremely intelligent and spoke Hebrew like we would speak English and Greek, the same, just very intelligent. At the end of his life, he said, what would you say the most deepest uh, spiritual truth you've ever heard? And on his deathbed, he says, Jesus loves me. This I know. <laughs> it just doesn't get any deeper than that. He loves us, and we love him because... Boy, knowing how much he loves us. We see in the passage of Scripture that Judas is getting ready to betray Jesus. He has left his presence now and gone in a few days prior to this meeting and arranged with the high priest for 30 30 pieces of silver. He'd be looking for an opportunity to betray him into their hands. We find that the Lord Jesus had, uh, and by the way, when you see Jesus, you can see he loves people that don't love him back. I've been in that category before. He loved me far before I ever loved him. And even after he saved me many times, the Bible says, if you love me, well, you'll keep my commandments. We can't say we love God. If we say we love God and love the world, we're a liar. But he loves me even though I am not what I ought to be for him. By the way, I should love people that are not always love me back. Love is not feeling right about someone. It's making a decision to treat someone right. And uh, this we learn from our Lord Jesus Christ. Love, he loved us so much and to his disciples that he prepared providentially a place for them. He, he thought about them ahead of time. And he prepared. You know, when I, I think about how much he loved us, I can also say, Lord, thank you for all the things you providentially prepared for me. You know, what it took to get everybody to this auditorium this morning. I talked to one man this morning. He said, Pastor, I'm surprised. I'm getting ready to be 70 years old, but I'm really surprised I got out of my 20s. I was so reckless and so, uh, it's God's grace that he kept me alive until I got saved. How many could say, I've got a testimony like that myself? Yeah. God was so gracious to you. Aren't you glad that God thought ahead and prepared things for us? He's been so good to us in that way. We can see that in the passage. He also wanted them to remember him. He wanted him to remember him. And he says, you know, well, I'm going to break this bread, and it's going to be a testimony and a reminder to you that my body is going to be broken for you. We're going to drink the grape juice out of this cup. Both the bread was without yeast and the juice was without fermentation, a type of sin. Yeast is a type of sin, and that's what makes bread rise, and that's what makes alcohol ferment. He said, we're going to drink this, this juice, but I want this juice to be a reminder that I'm getting ready to spill my blood for you. And we won't really eat this in the same way personally until one day after I come back for you in my kingdom. He gave him that reminder. I'm so glad that God lets us remember his son, Jesus. I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen heaven or hell, but God has made him real to me. I was listening to Brother Jack as he talked to the Lord after he read the scriptures, and he closed his prayer like he almost always closes his prayer. And Lord Jesus, I love you. And Jesus, we love you. You know, I've never seen Jesus, but God made him real to me through the word of God. I'm glad when we have the Lord's Supper, we can stop and hold a piece of bread. By the way, if you ever have a chance to go to the Lord's Supper and you don't, for some frivolous reason, shame on you. When God gives us a chance to remember his son, that would be like missing your best friend's wake or funeral service, and you had a chance to be there. You wouldn't do that. But he gives us a chance to remember him. But we're continuing that night. Once again, now it is probably closing midnight, maybe a little bit later. They're eating the Passover lamb. He has shown them the significance of the bread and the juice. And now he goes into another part of that evening, and uh, Judas is still there. Judas is still in the room. And let's look at what the Bible says in verse number 21. And behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me at the, t- and the table. They, all the people around the table, and now everybody's hand is on the table. And he said, the hand that's going to betray me is with me. I can just imagine Judas pulling his back, putting it in his pocket. Verse number 22. And the Son of Man, and truly the Son of Man, by the way, that's his favorite name for himself. Matter of fact, whenever Judas will kiss him in just a few hours later and betray him and, and take him and give the custom, customary greeting of kissing him on one side of the face and the other side of the face, he said, Are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? He heard it right here, and he's going to remind him of those words in just a few hours when he comes with maybe 600 soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest him. Verse number 22 As it was determined and woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Boy, it's a bad day for the guy who decides to betray him. And they began to inquire among themselves, which of them is it was that should do this thing? By the way, it's interesting. No one said, yeah, Judas. They were all kind of like saying, who's going to do this? I think probably nobody. Judas was a good fake. Everybody knew, everybody thought he was a Christian. By the way, only you and God know if you're truly saved. The Bible tells us that infiltration is one of, of the devil's favorite ways to take down and to hurt the name of Christ and his church. He infiltrates it with bad doctrine. He infiltrates it with demonic activity. He, in, he infiltrates that with, uh, with the world system another way he infiltrates a good church is through people who look like they're saved, talk like they're saved, act like they're saved, give like they're saved, sing like they're saved, but they're not saved. They know it and God knows it. They're tares growing up at the same time with the weed and we won't find it out until later on. John said this, they went out from us because they were not of us. Say, one day they'll separate from us. And I'm not saying everyone who ever leaves a church is not saved. Please don't, don't ever uh, accuse me of saying that. I'm just saying sometimes people leave, and some people people that are in the church, if the rapture were to take right now, if Jesus said, you know what, I'm coming back at 11.50, three minutes from now, there would be people sitting in this room looking and saying, what just happened? And he, he said, that's just, it's just and, and I hate to think about that. I think when we go to heaven, we'll be surprised about two things, who's there and who's not there. We'll be surprised and say, well, I didn't think they, well, I'm glad they're saved. And other people will be saying, Where, where's so-and-so? They're not here with us. And Jesus said, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. I was thinking about this with Dr., uh, with Brother Ed Wolber in memory. I was sitting down with him whenever he decided to move to Florida, and he told me, he said, you know, I, uh, I came to this church, and, and I, went to, I, went, I went forward in a church as a young man. I was 12 years old, and, and I went forward because I was convicted about my sin. And, and unfortunately, a man just took me and just said, oh, you're going to join the church. That's great. Let's just fill out your paperwork. And he said, I always went back to that time when I was, I, was just, I just came forward. I was convicted, but I didn't, no one shared with me the gospel. He just told me, oh, we're glad you're going to join the church. He said later I came here to First Baptist Church and I started going soul winning with uh, Jim Lyons, and who now both of them are with the Lord and then within a matter of a few weeks from each other, saw Jesus. He said, I would, I would win people to Christ with him, and I would watch him win people to Christ. And he said, Brother Hiles was just killing me with the truth, and I knew I was sitting there as an unsaved man. And he would say, he preached a message on the, the topic of Lord, Lord. He said, people will say, I know you. And he'll say, I, I never met you. I don't know you. They'll say, we-, we sang in your name. We did many wonderful works, and I-, I gave, and I helped, and I served. And he'll say, depart from me, you work of iniquity, on this basis. I never knew you. And I'm not here to scare anybody, but if you're having your bell rung this morning, make sure you're not a Judas. It doesn't matter if I think you're saved. It doesn't matter if your wife, your husband, or anyone else thinks you're saved. You need to do You need to get it settled. And it's not hard. Not hard and not to scare anybody. Good night in the morning, that's the last thing I'd want to do. At the same time, the world's greatest mistake is to go to hell over a mistake. And you know and God knows. Am I really saved? Don't don't go in a little story. Don't go go off into hell thinking you you learned a story your parents told you. Don't tell people, well, I got baptized. Well, that water doesn't wash away sin. Well, I've been in the church. I just grew up in it. That doesn't mean you're a Christian because you grew up in it. There needs to be a moment of time when you know that you and God exchanged your sin for His Son. Well, Judas, he said, The hand of the man who's going to betray me is with me. Woe unto that man. Now let's continue, if we can, please, and we'll see this kind of a tragic thing. Verse number 24, And there was also a strife among them, which of which them should be accounted the greatest. Here, at this moment of time, they're still arguing. They picked up this argument. They had this argument before, chapter 9 of Luke. But now they're at, they were walking by the way when he heard them saying, I, I'm going to be number one. Who's going to be one? Who's going to be two? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And he couldn't get through to them. And here were hours from his crucifixion, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Sounds just like us. And he said unto them, Kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they exercise authority upon them that are called the benefactors. But ye shall not be sold, but he that is greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. And whether he is greater that sitteth than meat, or he that, that, uh, that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint you to the kingdom. There is a time when there will be recognition for faithfulness and works and love for me, as my Father appointed me that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the tribes of Israel. And of course, the book of Revelation talks about that. But he said, "Look, right now." It's a time of service. It's not a time of, of jockeying for position. Don't worry about who's the greatest. Don't compare yourself among yourselves. That's, that's foolish. He said, right now is a time where everybody puts, takes off their bib and puts on their apron and say, what can I do with the Lord? And what is my role? And what can I do? I was speaking to someone the other day, and they, they, they texted me something that's just as though, like, my life is over. I have nothing to live for. And basically, a bad thing had come to their plight and difficulties. I'm in a dark place. I have no purpose. And I thought to myself, this guy is saved. He's baptized. He's been called to the Lord. And just because he doesn't have the same position he used to have, he feels like his life is over. You know, there's, all of us have something we can do for Jesus. What you cannot do with energy, you and I ought to do with urgency. Listen, if you're a little bit older and you're not able to get out as much, you ought to pray a little bit more. You ought to find ways in which you can encourage other people in the wake of your life. You ought to give a little more aggressively if you can. Ask God for ways in which you can have a niche to do something. And by the way, here, it's a needful time for that. And there is a time for recognition. And remind you, it is faith in Jesus Christ that determines your eternal destiny. It is service and works for Christ and love for Christ that determines your eternal reward. And God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. Every time you did something for Him, it is recorded and will be rewarded. Every time. There's not one thing that you do for Christ. And we don't work our way to heaven. Now, there's no way that you can earn your way to heaven. The secret of eternal life is to learn that it cannot be earned. The only way someone goes to heaven is because of Jesus doing the work for them. But after we're saved, we should work. Someone put a poem, I cannot work my soul to save that the Lord has done. But now I can work like any slave for the love of God's dear son. And here they're jockeying position. And Jesus, in context here on this very night, John tells us that he takes out a water basin and he takes a towel. And he goes around to each of the disciples, including Judas, and he washes their feet in between their toes, and he scrubs their heels, and then he takes a towel, and he he girds himself with a towel, and he washes their their feet to demonstrate, look, this is not the time to be a taker. This is the time to be a giver. This is not the time to be served. This is the time to serve. This is not the time to wonder when you're going to get this position or when someone's going to recognize your work or when they're going to really pat you on the back. That's all futuristic. And he's teaching. By the way, this is what Jesus says before he dies. Anytime I've watched numbers of people transition from this life into the next. But if someone says something at the end of their life, I remember it. And it was important. This is what Jesus is saying just prior, just hours. 24 hours from now, he will not be alive. By the next day between noon and 3 o'clock, he will, be, he will already have, have uh, given up the ghost. So these are just a few hours before. And he's telling listen, guys, not a time to jockey for position. It's not a time to take. It's a time to give. And that other time will be rewarded later in the kingdom. And he tells these guys specifically in the, to be rulers at, with the Lord Jesus in his kingdom, especially over the Jewish nation. Let's look at the next verse if we can, please. Verse number 31. Would you read it with me, everybody? And the Lord... So he was already working on one of the men especially, and that was Judas... He had filled him, and now he turns to Simon. He says, Simon, Simon. Now, it's kind of interesting. Eight to ten times in the Bible, when God speaks, he will say the same person's name back to back. Like Abraham, Abraham. Moses, Moses. Samuel, Samuel. And each time they respond and say, here am I. It would be like your mother saying your middle name, I think. When your mother says your middle name, you better say, I'm here. (laughs) What do you need? He says their name back to back. In the New Testament, Jesus says it. You might remember this one. Martha, Martha. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. When Saul was on his way to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And here he says, Simon, Simon. That's his old name. By now they've been calling him Peter, but now, he says, Simon, Simon. And I'm sure everybody listened to that moment. Luke wasn't there, but he, he somebody remembered that whole situation. The Spirit of God confirmed in his heart to put that in, on the holy writ. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired thee to sift you like wheat. That means to beat you to a pulp. He wants to deal with you, break you up. He's trying to break up your faith, Simon. But then it's a beautiful thing. He said, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. We see that he loves us so much that he intercedes for us. Look if we can, please, at verse 32. What I have prayed for thee, thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And then Simon said, he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. We find here that Simon gets the attention. And by the way, all the disciples will be pushed to their spiritual limits in the next few hours. Matter of fact, Luke will tell us one of the reasons they fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane is because they were, they were overwhelmed with sorrow. Sometimes when people are really sorry, all they want to do is sleep. It gives them a numbing effect to, to get rid of that. They were, you know, sometimes we think about they were just tired. They were tired, no doubt. When Jesus was arrested, it was probably somewhere around 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning in Gethsemane. They'd been up all day and had enjoyed a large meal with the Passover. The instruction they had, lots of dynamic things. Their mind were doing mental gymnastics, no doubt, with all the things they were hearing. There'd been a little bit of strife and argument, who's going to be first? And Jesus set that straight. And then he looks into Simon's eyes and says, Simon, Simon, Satan's after you. And once again... Satan would know that, 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 uh, that Peter was going to be greatly used. He wouldn't know about Pentecost. In just a few weeks, he would preach, and 3,000 people would get saved at one time. He didn't know about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He didn't know about the leadership and the love in 1 Peter and 2 Peter that he would write. And boy, I'm glad I had those two books of the Bible. But he knew that Peter was special. And Jesus, he saw him spend a lot of time with Peter, James, and John. Peter being the mouthpiece of the early church, and James being the first one to be killed by Herod, the first martyr of the disciples, and John, the last one that would live into A.D. 90 and beyond. So Jesus took those three, and he spent extra time with them, and and Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan's going to try to break you up, mess with you. But I prayed for you, and I'm praying that your faith does not fail. And I tell you, friends, I am no Jesus. But I oftentimes pray that for our people. We have a little statement we sometimes say here, all of us, all the way. Everybody finishing their faith. I think what what, what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have what? Kept the faith. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in... Latter days, some will depart from the faith. They'll stop being faithful. Well, I'm so glad that Peter didn't stop being faithful. He was tried and he failed. We can see later in this passage of Scripture that when he finishes denying the Lord Jesus Christ, it was an opportunity for eye contact between Jesus and Peter. And that moment broke him. And I don't know where he went. I don't know if he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know where he went, but he wept bitterly. And you know, Peter's a great great example of someone who can fail and not be a failure. Failure is an event. It's not a person. If you mess up, fess up. Confess, forsake. Let God help you with that. And Peter, boy, I like Peter because I'm a mess up. We're all a bunch of dirt pots, and some of us got more dirt in our pot than somebody else, but we all got the issues. We all got problems. And Peter was one who, 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 who was very familiar with the taste of shoe leather. He would put his foot in his mouth continually. And when you put your foot in your mouth and when you mess up, do what Peter did, weep bitterly. Stay low, go slow, no one ever fell off the floor. Remind yourself that you're weak as water. But then remember that you have someone praying for you. Aren't you glad that's the Lord Jesus Christ? He loves you. And he's praying that your faith will not fail. Some of us, we have quit on the mind going on right now. We're looking for the next exit, the next excuse, the next bad thing to happen so I can jet away from the Lord. Don't do that. Decide, you know, I want to finish strong. I don't want my faith. To, I want to finish my last year. You know, I think about Lori McCoy and her husband and kids are here today. You know, it's a difficult, it's a second Sunday they've come to church without their mom. And I thought about them last Sunday and thought about it again this morning. You know, Lori McCoy, she contacted diabetes when she was 11 years old. And from the time she was 11 to 18, she was hospitalized 80 times. She had terrible diabetes. It eventually took the control of her kidneys and she had to have dialysis and many other complications of heart and things of that nature. But there must have been 225 people stuffed into a small mortuary not too far away from here to remember a lady who finished well. She wasn't all that in a bag of chips. She was a sinner saved by grace. But on the Sunday before she went to heaven, she had her hand stuffed in a little puppet giving boys and girls the gospel on the three-year-old department, with a, a dragging foot and a cane still giving her best to the Lord at the end of her life. Would to God that that's what I'll do and that's what you'll do. We'll keep being faithful to God all the way to the end. Boy, there's there's plenty of things that can keep you from doing that. There's sins, your sin, my sin, the sins of others. Don't let anyone else's life be an excuse why you can't finish strong. For the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to sift thee as wheat, beat you to a bloody pulp, separate you from your faith. But I prayed for you that your faith failed. By the way, say, Pastor, well, I don't Pastor I don't want my faith to fail. You might want to join Jesus on that prayer. <laughs> say, God, help me to keep my faith all the way to the end. Trusting you until I see you. Let's pray together. Can we please?